You just have to. <laughs> it's not just laid out there for you. You're taking four Gospels and you're trying to fit it together. Well, what we see is uh, when we think about what preceded um, the, well, where we are today, which is the, really the second testimony of John, uh, we have the first testimony of John, we have the baptism of Jesus, the temptations of Jesus, and then we go back to John for uh, the second part of his testimony, and then following that, you have the uh, calling of the first disciples. So I think this will, and then part of this in John is when John speaks about the baptism, he speaks past tense. So it helps, that helps to fit um, the temptations of Christ between the first testimony of John and the second. So we're in uh, John 1, verses 19, and we'll read, it's a little bit of a lengthy uh testimony of John the Baptist and this will be this will be all for John the Baptist until a little bit later when he is uh, he's imprisoned and he has a question for Jesus but for now uh, we are here and glad uh, to be here today I think the words of John are comforting words to us uh, to believers in Jesus, to those who are devoted to Christ, I think there's great uh, comfort uh, in his testimony. I think uh, that John's testimony is also instructional uh, for believers. For instance, um, in the last point today, when we look at the office of Jesus, according to John, John says that Jesus is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. And I think this is really encouraging, comforting, and instructional for us to understand that the baptism and to equate the baptism of the Holy Spirit with conversion. Because there's no being born again as a child of God apart from the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And we need to understand that, and we need to understand that sanctification is driven in our lives by the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. And John gives testimony to this. And we're also not only going to recognize that John said, it is he who will baptize you in the Holy Spirit, but, he, uh, but Matthew also added and he will baptize you with fire. And so we all want to know, well, what does that mean? He's going to baptize in the Holy Spirit and fire. So what's the fire part? We'll get to that here in a little bit. I think it'll be really helpful um, to us. Well, let's read. This is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I'm not the Christ. So what we're seeing through John the Baptist right now is real, real genuine humility. Okay, we don't see a guy trying to build up his own deal with a bunch of people, his own ministry, whatever. He's just really humble. He says, I'm not the Christ. This is a big deal. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. 
Are you the prophet? He answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you? So that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. So it's not unusual that these religious leaders would send people as kind of an inquisition to find out about John. I mean, what are you doing? He was, number one, he was out in the wilderness. He wasn't in Jerusalem. And they would have, any religious leader would have expected if anything significant religiously is going to take place, it's going to happen in Jerusalem. They weren't in Jerusalem. They're out in the wilderness. So the Pharisees send people out. They're questioning John. They said to him, who are you so that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? I am one voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As Isaiah the prophet said. So John even quotes the prophet. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him and said to him, why then are you baptizing if you are not the Christ? nor Elijah, nor the prophet. So in other words, uh, we're questioning your authority. You know, are you just, uh, you know, just kind of, you know, raising yourself up for this or what? And John answered them saying, I baptize in water, but one stands among, one stands um, among you whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him. But so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained on him. There's the past tense. He's re referencing the baptism. So in our minds, we're thinking the baptism has already taken place. The questioning of the Pharisees and all this is happening post-Jesus being baptized. And we know that after he was baptized, he was thrust into the wilderness to undergo the temptation. Verse 33, I did not recognize him. Now, that's interesting. He says, I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. And he says, I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. And then immediately following is the first disciples uh, begin uh, to be called forth uh, to follow Jesus. Well, this is the word of the Lord. Father in heaven, thank you uh, for your word. And we especially thank you for a focus uh, um, on, the, on the life and work and ministry and identity of Jesus. Uh, Lord, how exciting it is to, 
to, uh, to follow in his footsteps through the scriptures. And how, how encouraging it is and how wonderful it is to, to think thoughts of Jesus. And what a privilege it is, Lord, to recount his work and to study this. And Lord, we just pray that you would bring the truth of the gospel to our hearts, that you would remind us afresh and anew, Lord, the, the great benefit that comes to us because of Jesus, because of his sinlessness and his, his bloodshed and his empty tomb and his spectacular passing through the heavens from the Mount of Olives to your right hand. And Lord, we know from that place, he's coming again. So Lord, alert our minds and our hearts today. Uh, help us, Lord, to be attentive and to be receptive and to be ready for action. We pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Um, we have three points today. The first uh, point, we want to take comfort in the name. We want to take comfort in his unique name. And it is unique, and we'll look at that here in a moment from two verses. Uh, secondly, we want to take comfort not only in the unique name of Jesus, but we want to take comfort in his unique work uh, that he accomplished. And then thirdly, uh, we want to take comfort in his office, in his, uh, uh, what would we do? We would say we equate uh, office with administration. So how does Jesus administrate his, uh, his kingdom? How does he, how does he, uh, how's he promoting it? How is he driving it? How is he seeing it fulfilled? And, and how's he continue this, uh, this work? Well, we'll look at that. So first of all, let's take comfort in the unique name of Jesus. Uh, verse 29, uh, the Bible says, The next day he saw Jesus coming to him. So the he there is John the Baptist. The writer is John the Apostle. And, he, and said, and so this is what he said, Behold, this is his testimony, the Lamb, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. I think he mentions this again. Um, yeah, down in 35, he mentions that when the disciples are two uh, disciples standing there, and he looked at Jesus in verse uh, 36 and said, uh, Behold the Lamb of God. So this was something he said on more than one occasion, um, and it's his testimony, and it is a reference to the unique name that John the Baptist uh, calls Jesus, the Lamb of God. Uh, and it is a unique name. You don't find this just all over. You find, you find analogies or references in the Old Testament to the Lamb. And we equate the Lamb with Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment. But for Jesus to be called the Lamb of God, um, 
It just doesn't happen that much. We know him uh, from John 10 as the shepherd. We know him from John 9 as the light. We know him from John 15 as the vine. We know him from John 11 as the resurrection and the life. We know him from John 6 as the bread of life. But we know him from John 1 and from the mouth of John the Baptist as the Lamb of God. A unique name. Well, what's in a name? Well, a name is... A name in that day would encapsulate the character of a person. Everything that they are. We know there are many names for God, and we've just uh, scratched the surface on some of the names for Jesus. But a name really reflects the true character of the person. And never is that more true than when we come to the person and the work of Jesus. The name speaks to their true identity, who they are. You know, we think of... Jesus as self-existent, and we think of him as, as, as everything that would embody those attributes of God. That he was holy, that he's just, that he's full of grace, that he's full of truth. We get back to the fact that John says he's the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God. And this speaks to us of two things this morning that are really, really important and two uh, ideas that are inextricably connected to Christ. Uh, When we think of Jesus as the Lamb of God, we're thinking, first of all, as a sacrifice. Yeah, and, and what informs us is the Old Testament. The Old Testament, uh, in the Old Testament, we read about uh, what in, uh, I think it's Genesis 22, when uh, they go up to Mount Moriah and, and he's going to sacrifice Isaac. J- Ab- Abraham is going to sacrifice Isaac and he's been instructed to do so and He's about to sacrifice him, and there's a ram caught in a thicket. And that ram is the substitute sacrifice. So Isaiah goes free, and the ram is slaughtered on the mount. And then you get into all of the law, where there's a sacrifice, if not once a day, a couple times a day. Sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. It was the lambs and it was the rams and it was the calves and it was the pigeons. But the lamb really speaks of the sacrifice. And that's what we think about. First of all, we think of the lamb of God. And early on in the ministry, John the Baptist declares, Behold the lamb of God. Behold the lamb of God. And this would have suggested sacrifice to everybody within the sound of his voice. The Lamb of God. And nobody's thinking about this one who would come and have to die. No one who would have to voluntarily subject himself to death on the cross. One who was not guilty of any sin in any shape, 
former fashion, nevertheless, he would offer himself like a lamb to the slaughter. He offered himself to die. And so when we think of the Lamb of God, we think of a sacrifice and we think of death. And so this idea of death and sacrifice is connected to Jesus at the very outset of his ministry. This is why he came. He didn't just come to be an example of goodwill. He came to offer his own blood on the cross so that you and I and anyone else could put their trust in him and receive forgiveness for their sin. He came to die. And that's what we think about, first of all, when we think of the Lamb of God. But secondly, and there's something that uh, I think is equally encouraging. And I don't know that anyone really makes the connection. But if you look at all the books in the New Testament, I wonder what book, I wonder in what book are you going to find that title for Jesus more often than any other book? Well, Revelation, you go to Revelation, you're going to see lamb, 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 lamb about 30 times. A reference to Jesus, the sacrifice, and that whole idea that he would come and die is, is connected to the end, if you will. The end of history as we know it. And, you know, we, we should say the end or the apocalypse But it's connected to history as we know it. And one day you and I are assured that we will enter into a a history as we've never known it. We will enter into eternity. We will enter into heaven. We will enter into the presence of Jesus Christ. We will enter into a time and a place where there is no need for the sun. Because the light of the Lamb illumines that place of Bliss and peace and ultimate health and healing and ultimate fellowship and worship and truth and and activity. And we can't wait for that time. We're not there yet, but we look for that time. So connected with the Lamb of God that we see here in John 1, I want us to think about the significance of the Lamb of God as expressed through John the Apostle's writing in Revelation. I think that's important. He is the Lamb. He is the Lamb who was the sacrifice. But I want you to notice the second thing, and that is he is the Lamb who is supremely sovereign over history and eternity. Yeah, do you think about him as a sacrifice? Is that one who died on the cross and the one who took upon himself the sins of the world, and that one who suffered and died a humiliating death in view of the public, and you think of the one who was taken down from that cross and placed in a barred tomb, and that one who rose from the dead the third day and ascended, and all that. But do we think about him often enough and do we understand if we really owned the fact 
that Jesus Christ is supremely sovereign over everything. The everything in the here and now. The everything that is in the back, in the past, there and then. And everything looking forward to the then and there. He is over it. He is running it. He is moving it. He is in charge. Now folks, I appreciate... The fact that we can walk around and we can sing songs like we've sung this morning down at the cross. But I think we would do ourselves a tremendous um, favor this morning if you and I would own the fact that Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, is supremely sovereign over history. That being said, that he is supremely sovereign over your life and my life. That he has ordered our steps. And that nothing confronts us. Nothing uh, enters into our existence that has not done so by his permission, if you will. I'm going to say it that way. In other words, I think we need to be delivered from this thinking of Things just happen randomly in our world. And we just can't explain it, and we can't, by the way, because we're not God. But I can assure you, even things that appear random are not random. God is in charge, specifically the Lamb of God. So let's just go to Revelation for just a minute here, and let's look at this. Let's just see, uh, beginning in... Chapter 5. Chapter 5 is a great... Chapters 4 and 5 are great worship scenes in heaven. And I think it's, I think it's profitable just to take a little time this morning just to be reminded that, that he is in charge. He is... Listen, if he is in charge over the events that are unfolding in the book of Revelation, the seals being broken and those seal judgments happening... And the trumpets blowing and those trumpet judgments taking place. If he's in charge of all that, which he is, by the way. Hey, listen, he's in charge of what we are living with right now. He is fully sovereign. He's supremely sovereign. And he never gives up that sovereignty. Look at this. He says, uh, John the Apostle says, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals, and I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And then there was some bad news. Look at this, verse 3. And no one in heaven, or on the earth, or under the earth, was able to open the book or look into it. And then a great weeping takes place in verse 4. Then I began to weep greatly, because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, is overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And then verse 6, look at verse 6. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns, all powerful. And seven eyes, omniscient, 
which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came, this one, this lamb, and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb each one holding a harp and seven bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign upon the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing and every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. And then from then on, the wrath of God is expressed. In fact, it's the wrath of the Lamb. And it's expressed in the earth. And it's expressed on the unbelievers. It's expressed on those who have rejected Jesus Christ. I want you to see today that the Lamb of God is supremely sovereign over history in the here and now and in the there and then. And because of that, he's worthy. He's, he's sovereign over it, all, over it all. He's offered himself as a sacrifice and he is worthy. He's worthy of all our praise. Would you agree with me? Would you agree with me that he is worthy of our attention at this very juncture in time? He is worthy of our devotion. He is worthy of our thoughts. He is worthy of our prayer. He is worthy of our intercessory prayer. He is worthy of our commitment. He is worthy of our unfailing love and devotion. And if ever we were to express a supreme gratitude for what this lamb has accomplished for us, at Calvary's cross, it is now. It's today. You ever thought about ramping up your spiritual life, your commitment to Christ, your love for Christ? Now's the time. Now's the time. Well, secondly, not only do we see uh, the unique name for Jesus, the Lamb of God, this uh, one who uh, sacrificed uh, for our sins, uh, we see and receive comfort from his work. I want you to notice what John says there in verse 29. He says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So this is his unique work, and I want you to take a, a great, uh, just receive strength and receive comfort through these words. That the whole purpose of his sacrifice was to be nailed to the cross and that he would bear the sins of men in his body on the cross. And not only was Jesus crucified dead on the cross, but our sins were with him when he was nailed to the cross. So not only was Jesus nailed to the cross, but the sins of the world 
were nailed to the cross of Calvary. This is why Jesus died. There is a problem. And the problem is, is really expressed in two statements. Number one, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All. All. No exceptions in that. We're frail creatures of dust. We, we embody original sin and then we, we actualize that sin. We express that sin at a very young age. And then the second statement for the wages of sin is death. And it is appointed a man wants to die and after that the judgment. The point is sin is a problem. In, a, in order for us to have fellowship with God, in order for us to inhabit a heavenly kingdom, in order for us to, to love and appreciate truth and to, to uh, receive the Holy Spirit, there had to be the taking away of sin because there's no amount of good works that you and I can do to alleviate the sin problem. And that's what the world out there doesn't believe. The world out there believes this adage. If you're a good person, you go to heaven. And you know what? That's just not true. Because all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Therefore, there are no good people. Yeah, we do good things. Yeah, we try to help. We have good intentions. But we're sinners through and through. We got a black streak of sin from head to toe going right through our heart. And we cannot alleviate that sin. We cannot take it away. I can't do enough good things in my life to even dull that black streak. Only Jesus. Only Christ. He's the only answer to man's problem of sin. That sin that is a barrier between you and God and me and God. That sin that is an impenetrable barrier between us and God. Only Jesus could break that barrier down. Only Jesus could shed his perfect blood for sinners and take away the sin of the world. If you haven't responded to Jesus Christ in faith for the forgiveness of sin, today I encourage you to simply trust Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And if he took away the sin of the world, he'll take away your sin by faith. Just simply trust him. We're not going to trust our self-righteousness. We're not going to trust our inherent goodness, whatever that is, because there's really no inherent goodness. There's just inherent sin. And it's relentless in our lives. And it's always rearing its ugly head. Trust Jesus. Jesus will forgive. He'll receive you. He'll forgive you. But trust him. Look to him in faith today and live. And then uh, finally... We want to look at and receive comfort from his unique office. His unique office. Let's look at this. Verse 33. John says, I did not recognize him. So he's referring to Jesus. Now that's interesting that he did not recognize him. Because we just have a declaration 
that John said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So what's going on here? Well, he's going to go ahead and explain it for us. But he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. It sounds like John didn't know who this was going to be except by the response of heaven to this one's baptism. That's what it sounds like to me. And then he goes on, I myself have seen and testified, this is the Son of God. So we have witness after witness after witness speaking to the divinity of Jesus, that he was 100% God, that he was 100% man. There's no way on earth you and I will ever understand that. We will never be able to parse that. We will never be able to uh, research it enough to have a full grasp on it. All you can do and all I can do is receive it as truth. And the Holy Spirit illumines to us that that is true and we accept it. Uh, for what it is, that Jesus is fully divine and fully man, and in that capacity, he has uh, accomplished salvation uh, for us. But what does it mean? What does he mean here? Now, over in Matthew 3, verse 11, that's where it is, Matthew writes, this is the one who will baptize you in the Spirit, or with the Spirit, and fire. Okay, (laughs) and fire, not or fire, and fire. So let's talk about his unique office. In fact, this is how Jesus administrates his uh, spiritual kingdom now. And this is, this is what he does. And this is the um, indispensable uh, part of the uh, Christian life. And really an indispensable part of what it means to be saved. And how that knowledge of God and Jesus comes to us. Why are there, listen, why are, there are people out here today who never give a thought of Jesus, who they, they even grew up maybe listening to sermons. Maybe they grew up reading their Bible, but they still have no real grasp on who Jesus is and what he has done and accomplished for them. Why is it, how is it that you are here and you are a full a fledged believer in Christ, and there are some out there who've had the same information that you've had, yet they are not. And I submit to you the difference is very simple. The Holy Spirit made real to you the truth that you heard. You received the light of the glory of the gospel of Jesus. The Holy Spirit made it real. The convicting power of the Holy Spirit made it real. And once you're convinced of this, let me just say this, you can't be unconvinced. Now some of you don't look too sure of that, but you cannot be unconvinced. Once it's been made real, you may not be able to explain the incarnation. You may not be able to explain Jesus and his omniscience except for one thing. Uh, He doesn't know that day or hour. He's waiting to hear from the Father before he comes. But uh, there are things that we don't understand. Uh, Circumstances of life. Why that happened over there and this happened over here and And how all that works, we do not understand that. That's why we constantly remind ourselves, do not lean on your own understanding. 
This comes all the way back from Proverbs. Do not, this is a command, do not lean on what you think. Do not lean on what the, what the eyes tell you, what the ears tell you, physically. In all your ways, what? Acknowledge Him. Acknowledge Him through every circumstance. Acknowledge Him through every grief and pain and heartache. Acknowledge Him when you don't understand. You know what he's going to do? He's going to direct your path. He's not going to leave you dead in the water. He's going to direct your path. He's going to move you forward. He's going to propel you into greater fruitfulness. That's what he's going to do. And so it is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. Who is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit? It's Jesus. From the right hand of the Father, this is what he does. He dispenses... The Holy Spirit. Brother Bill, explain that to me. I can't. Sorry, I can't. I don't know how that works. I don't know how that works. But you know what? The Holy Spirit's like the wind. You know it blows. And you can see the effects of it. But you don't know where it's going to be tomorrow. You don't know how strong it's going to be blowing tomorrow. That's why when you have an inkling of who Jesus is. When you hear the truth of salvation, that he's the Lamb of God, he, he's the one who offered the sacrifice, and you get that light, you embrace that light. You never let go of that light. You walk in that light. You relish that light. Because that light is life to your soul. So he baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I love that. I'm not afraid of that term. I'm not afraid that some people misuse that term. And they refer to this as a second blessing. No, it's not a second blessing. It is the first blessing and it is found at conversion. How else can you be born again except you receive the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit and responding to the truth of God? That's what it means to be born again. Um, and then, so, and we'll conclude with this, that uh, he, Matthew says, and fire. So what's that mean? He'll baptize you with, in the Holy Spirit, or with the Holy Spirit, and fire. Well, here's what it means. The fire part is the refining fire. Fire is used in the Bible and held up as a purification. It has to do with our sanctification, Right? It has to do with struggle. It has to do with some amount of pain. That there is, remember what Peter said? Don't be surprised at the, what, fiery ordeal among you. Don't be surprised when things get a little fiery. This fire is a refiner's fire. It works in our sanctification. It works in our progress toward sanctification, toward Christ-likeness. It's going to be news to somebody. God uses trial to move us toward Christ-likeness. Is that news to anybody? It shouldn't be. 
It shouldn't be. God uses trial in your life and my life to refine us, to move us toward Christ-likeness, to strengthen us. I think through trial, he brings and builds into us a greater appreciation. I mean, who of us? Who of those here and who of us that are joining by Sermon Audio or Facebook Live haven't grown in their appreciation for simple fellowship among the brothers and sisters in Christ over the past several months? You don't have to answer out loud. But I think we've all grown in our appreciation of seeing brothers and sisters in Christ. More appreciation for what God has done among our own church family. And how much we enjoy, need spiritual support through prayer and conversation about God and life. I know that it has affected me that way. And who of us that have been sick haven't grown in our appreciation of good health and in our appreciation for the one who sticks closer than a brother when it's hard to breathe. In his own subtle way, he uses those minutes, hours, days, weeks, To bring about a tenderness that was probably not there before. I was t- talking to Pearl for church, and I was the reason, by the way, Rod, she was late. She's late to Sunday school. I told Pearl, I said, You're going to get a tardy today. Right? It'll be all right, though. Um, we all like to think we walk humbly before God as Christians. You go through a sickness, you go through a trial, a struggle, you lose someone you really care about. And you're, you're thinking, I want to walk more humbly before God than I have. He grows you in this. It's a refiner's fire. Who of us can, defi- can deny the refiner's fire? There is a refiner's fire. The Lord will grow you up as his child. And he knows how much you can stand. And you always have to remember, he numbers and orders our steps. And one day, the Lord tearing, you and I, will pass from this life into the next. And he'll be with us in that passage. Well, it's time to quit. We'll stop and pray and then sing and just enjoy the day and enjoy the fellowship with one another. And we give God praise. Father in heaven, bring the truth of your word to bear on our hearts today. Help us to live in an increasingly uh, closer walk with you. Help us to live with greater awareness 
of your presence and your activity in our lives. Help us to live with a greater appetite for spiritual things, for your word, for the fellowship of your spirit and the fellowship of our brothers and sisters in you. And Lord, we do humbly ask before we leave here today, we ask for your grace and peace and mercy And Lord, that you would bring all the resources of heaven to bear today on those who are sick, both physically and spiritually. And Lord, it fitting within the context of your will that you would raise them up to your glory and honor. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand, turn number 474, all the way my Savior leads me. All the way my Savior leads me, what have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercy Who through life has been my guide Heavenly peace, divinest comfort Here by faith in him to dwell For I know whatever befall me Jesus doeth all things well for I know whatever befall me, Jesus do with all.